Hey, it's Patrick. Before we start, at the time of this recording, we went through a bit of a name rebranding from Rick Center to Altitude Accelerator. With that in mind, we hope you enjoy the following interview. Welcome to the Startups Transform podcast. I'm Patrick McGuire, your host, board member and advisor at Altitude Accelerator, where we help startups scale to new heights. We chat with phenomenal tech business leaders who've climbed their way to success within their industry. Our guests delve deep into the lessons they've learned along the way so that you can get a head start on your next big idea. This is a great podcast to have with a guy that, uh, well, in a weird way, we're connected already. We just didn't know it. And I'm pretty keen to share the knowledge of what's going on with Daisy Intelligence. I mean, some of you may not know it. It may be a household name for our, the techies in the world that are in retail technology and knowledge power and, and those that are into the data of insurance. This is probably something that you already know, but I want to talk about what's happening here. And I'm going to give you the corporate byline right now, which is Daisy is an AI-powered platform in retail and insurance. Daisy uses reinforcement learning or a branch of AI, as Gary and the team say, and it's patent pending theory of retail and theory of risk to truly be unique in the marketplace and cutting edge for the category management of risk management revolution. There's so much more that we could say about this. There is one that I'm going to call out right now, and that is the mission. The mission. And I'm looking over at their site and I'm loving it. We're on a mission to empower people to focus on what they do best at work by using machine intelligence to do what machines do best. So with that said, I've got to say thank you very much to my friend now that I've met and been able to figure out who he is, Gary Sarenverta. He's a great guy. He is the founder, the intelligence behind Daisy Intelligence. He is the man. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks very much for having me on, Patrick. I appreciate it. So I gave the corporate story. You tell me what it's really about. What is Daisy Intelligence and what are you guys doing? In every business, there's complex decisions that are made by people, you know, and retailers have to decide every week what products they should promote, what prices they should charge, how much inventory to allocate. You know, these are very mathematical decisions, if you could imagine, getting all the data about what customers are buying. And so our software helps make those decisions. And so we deliver the answer to our retail customers. And in the same way, we analyze claims in the insurance business and our system identifies fraud and identifies what claims you should pay or not pay. And so to do it really effectively, it's beyond human ability because there's so much data and it's overwhelmingly complex. So I think that's where the AI comes in. And we differentiate in that our definition of AI says it has to be autonomous, that there's no human in the loop. And so I think our system delivers the answer and say, pay this claim, don't pay this claim. This is fraud. This is not fraud. Here's what you should promote in your flyer. Here's what you should promote on e-commerce. Here's the specific products. Here's the prices. So we get really specific and say, this is exactly what you should do. You know, ultimately, the human is the boss. We're not replacing people because the AI doesn't tell you your strategy, what your brand mission should be, doesn't know what promotional channels you have. But once you set all those ground rules, then the AI can take care of the complex math. Because you know what? Computers are really good at adding numbers and doing complex math. And they can do that faster than people. They never get tired. They do the same thing day after day after day. So we want to let people flourish and do the stuff that people are great at, which is interacting, being strategic, being creative, servicing customers, coming up with new products, 
none of which computers do very well. So that's what our view, let people do what people are good at, let computers do what computers are good at. So that's what we do. And we've been able to deliver incredible results to our customers. Tell me about some of these awards that you guys have got, how you got them or what trophies you got on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, we've been recognized a lot, which is really exciting. It's really a statement, testament to our customers who allow us to work with them and and have these successes and stories we can tell. Uh, But, you know, we've been recognized by Gartner in the past couple of years as a cool vendor in AI for retail. We won the AI Company of the Year presented by the FinTech Awards uh, in Canada. We've been the fastest growing companies in Canada in the Globe and Mail kind of ranking for the last couple of years. So, you know, good things happening. We won some uh, Elevate AI. It happened a couple of years ago before the pandemic. We won the pitch competition and a large funding round came along with that. So, yeah, it's been great recognition, which I really have to give thanks to the whole Daisy team, our customers, who without them, we wouldn't be doing this, and the many business partners who help us. You know, like it takes a village to raise a child. You need all parts of society kind of helping you out to succeed. So. Gary, you're pretty humble. You're, you're a good guy that actually cares about the team and the people around you and the people you're helping down the road through different levels of your tech. But for anyone that's thinking about it, wondering what's going on in Elevate AI pitch competition, as Gary mentioned, and he says, you know, we got a little funding that came with it. It was a $5 million fundraise, guys. Come on. This guy put some work into it. His company put some work into it, and they raised funds because somebody else out there believed in what Daisy Intelligence was doing and that it could impact and change all of our lives eventually through different ways. But that's what great investment companies do. They see these awesome opportunities. So so Gary, congratulations on that and all the other awards you've done. I know there's more coming. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. One of the things I'm curious on, just tell our audience about what your background is so we understand why you came to this point in your life to create Daisy. You know, we emigrated. My family was from Finland. I was born in Finland and came to Canada when I was five years old. Finland's a great country, but they came to seek different life and opportunity for us. And my mother really pushed both my brother and I in education. And so, you know, I got an engineering degree from the University of Toronto and my brother went and got an engineering degree from Queens. And uh, I did a master's degree in computational fluid dynamics. And uh, my parents both ran small businesses. My mother ran a hairdressing salon and my dad was a mechanic and he had his own mechanic repair shop at uh, points in his career. And I always watched them work super hard. And this kind of Scandinavian work ethic has kind of permeated through that uh, hard work pays off and treating people with dignity and honesty and being transparent as you can is the way to succeed. And so, yeah, you know, I have this great education from a great country, Canada, from the University of Toronto, you know, and feel really fortunate that uh, kind of ended up where I am and, you know, had these mad skills that I thought, you know, let's do something meaningful, you know, change the world. And so that's what we've been working on trying to do. And I think people rally around that. I think it's as an entrepreneur, it's important to have a mission beyond profitability. And I think there's a study done that before the 1970s, companies were focused on a mission that was beyond profit. And since the 70s, it became very financially motivated. And I think the pendulum's swimming back a little bit now, but companies with a mission have more financial success than companies without a mission and a purpose. And so for me, having a mission and a purpose, it's not about the money. I'm 55 years old. My Bill Gates dreams and owning mansions and Ferraris is kind of long gone. I think the journey and having a small impact on the world would be a much cooler outcome. You should never never focus on the exit. Build a great business, contribute to life, pay your bills, employ people. That's what it's about. Companies with a mission 
that actually has a real true human value statement that changes the world, as Gary said a few times here, you know, that's going to do a lot better for you than those that are just focused on the bottom line. You have to have something more. Those that give back, those that actually care. I think you're totally right with that, Gary. Um, you said you're 55 and you're kind of not young and you're not old either. Yeah. But when did you found or when was it founded? Yeah, no, I founded this company in 2003. I had a career before I worked at a Loyalty Group that runs the Air Miles program. I worked at the University of Toronto in aerospace for a little bit and did my master's degree. And then I worked at the Air Miles Reward program. And when I was there, I got exposed to retail and data and was one of the first worldwide users of IBM's data mining products. Data mining was the buzzword for AI back then. I think yeah. that technology has changed less than the buzzwords about it have. And going to University of Toronto, I met Jeffrey Hinton, who was the founder of Neural Nets and is all exciting now about deep learning. And so I attended all his lectures at U of T. And so I've been playing with this technology for 25 years. I worked for IBM Canada. I ran their data mining practice for three years. IBM's a great business. Air Miles, the great companies. I have nothing bad to say about anybody else, but I thought I could do it better by focusing on one thing. And I had these great technical skills and I had learned through experience. And so I founded the company in 2003. I spent 12 years writing all the software out of my own profits of the business. So we ran about 30 million in revenue through the business over 12 years. And I spent about 10 million of that writing the software, not coming from a family background that had VC and investment. I thought I was going to take the technology risk out of the idea first and build it myself, make sure it worked for customers. I built it with customers. I learned that at IBM is Never build a product unless you have a customer willing to participate with you and pay you while you're building it. Because that way, it'll be something that actually customers care about at the end of the day. So I did that for 12 years, funded the product. And then I thought, 2016, the AI hype has grown. I've proven we have a product that works. And then we went 100% kind of SaaS, you know, software as a service kind of model and stopped doing professional services and projects. But I didn't know that. I could have raised money in 2003 with a great idea because that's what most people do. But I kind of de-risked it and then really undervalued those early rounds we did at way too low of a valuation, having spent 10 million bucks. Nobody gives you credit for that, you know. So uh, after you did all the risk, they all wanted in on you, right? Yeah, they all wanted in, and it was a really low valuation that at the time I didn't know any better. So you know, I, I took it, and and because the purpose for this wasn't for me to get rich and make a bajillion dollars. It has harmed the company that we could have raised more money faster and gone even faster. But in the grand scheme of things, I think stuff happens for a reason. So, I mean, it's all good. You kind of yeah. learn, live and learn. And I don't cry about the past mistakes. You learn more from mistakes than you do from successes. So, For everybody listening, you don't have to go out there and generate $30 million in revenue so you can raise $5 million. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. you can do it a different yeah. way but but gary actually i really really appreciate that because you put the hustle and you put the hard work in whether you raise money or not is irrelevant the point is you took a risk and you saw the opportunity and the value that you could do on doing it yourself and there's a lot of people out there that are just raising cash to raise cash they almost don't care whether it's going to succeed they just want to be able to say that we did this and pay themselves a, a pretty pocketbook if you will and I really respect the sweat equity workers a lot more than those that just are great at raising money. So congratulations to you on the team for that one. Appreciate that. And you know, just to say the the reason we spent so much money was we didn't write a little mobile app. This technology that we've created is tens of millions of lines of code, right? So I compete against the IBMs of the world and really large funded companies 
a five million raise back in 2003 wouldn't have paid for the building of the technology. So right now, I think we yeah. have close to 100 million lines of code written over because AI is complex. You know, it's as hard as building a cell phone, right? It's very complex and doing it with no human in the loop. You know, this is not simple stuff. So I think that's why it took a long time and took a lot of effort and time and money. You know? So just just a little bit of code. Not a whole lot, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of code, <laughs> not all, just a little bit, exactly. Awesome. Okay, so, I mean, things have gone really well for you guys at Daisy Intelligence and for yourself. Not everything's perfect. Not everything's easy. Tell me about something challenging. Tell me about a, a bad decision that you made or who made it and what was it? Yeah, I think the first time I fundraised, I think, you know, not knowing anything about it, Really love the people who put money into the company in the early days. And, you know, the only thing I didn't realize that I should have done more and looking at their background and saying, can they help me? So taking money is great. And I'm super respectful for those people for putting money in. And it was a real validation that I hadn't been wasting my whole life, right? The first people putting money in, it was an outside validation that my ideas weren't crazy. But I think for all of us, having somebody more experienced at the table and investing in our specific type of business tech and enterprise software. I think we went through a bit of heartache that would have been avoided with more experienced tech, enterprise software tech investors. And so no slam on the people at all. I think we probably all look back and say, hey, wouldn't have been great if we had another investor in the mix that would have saved us a couple of years of pain and heartache. Right. I'd say that was my decision to bring money in. In hindsight, I don't know that I would have been able at that time to make a different decision. It's not like I had 100 people lined up with big checks ready to hand over to us. They are great people. It was just that we all lacked some experience that could have made this go a little smoother, right? But as I said, you learn from those mistakes and in the grand scheme of things, long past that. And some of those investors are still in the business. And so I hope that someday I can return them a large payout, which is why they invested. And I think that, that'll be the most fun of an exit is if it ever happens for us or we do an IPO or something, that I can walk around to those early investors and give them a big fat check and say, thank you very much. Hopefully it was worth it for you. You know, that, that would be really cool. You know? It will be and that day will happen. And they'll probably give you a big fat hug when you give them that big fat check. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. You know, obviously we start things when we start them. But when you started Daisy Intelligence, what would you have told yourself back in 2003 about starting a business or doing something? Business is all about cash management. I didn't know that, you mm -hmm. know, an engineering background. I think we took one accounting course in engineering. And so you didn't have time. You were doing king, engineering. You know? <laughs> exactly. So let me tell all the entrepreneurs out there the only thing that matters is the cash balance in your bank account because cash fuels the business revenue numbers. You know, while it's great to have a nice revenue on a financial report. It's the cash balance in the bank as cash is the fuel of business. And so focusing on how to manage cash, I didn't know about that. And I wish I had done that a lot earlier, I think would have saved myself some inefficient financial decisions. And so lately, as the pandemic happened, cash management became a mm -hmm. real great experience that I had that we were able to survive and thrive through the pandemic by being focused on making sure we had enough cash to keep our employees paid and make sure we can deliver to customers and get rid of waste and inefficiency. And so Definitely, that's something I would have told my younger self, you know. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's a great one. So, folks, start earlier, be excellent at cash management, and build a great team around you. You know, these Absolutely, are great yeah. things, Gary. You're awesome in that. And it's easier for everybody to understand this. It's easier to build a great team 
when you've got great leadership skills. And I don't mean being the best leader. I mean being someone that others want to sort of magnetize to and be around that have a common goal, in this case, to help change the world with a little bit of technical digital intelligence. So I'm going to take you back a little more in a few moments. But before I do, I'm curious, how did you get connected with Rick Center? What's the relationship there? And how did this come together? Yeah, the Rick Center, I mean, it's a great community that helps startup businesses. And so we got connected through Mars and looking for help and advisory. And so the Rick Center, we found some advisors there that could really help the business. And they helped us with pitch decks and telling the story and some marketing and different elements of entrepreneurism that we didn't have the resources to go hire or didn't have the experience to know. I think taking advantage for entrepreneurs of that community that exists, either through the Rick Centers or Mars or or other things like that was really super helpful for us in the early days. And the Rick Center, you know, they used to set up pitch practice and I did a bajillion pitch practices. And if you looked at my pitch deck, the first one I did at Rick years ago and the one we do today, it's like wildly different. That's another thing I would tell entrepreneurs, practice your pitch, do it a million times and change it constantly. And you'll eventually be able to tell the story. You got to be able to tell the story in like less than five minutes to go through a 10-page investor deck and hit all the highlights that took years of practice to get there. And so I think that was one of the biggest contributions got of the Rick Center is really feedback on how to tell the story. At the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson. You have to be able to communicate your vision and story and do that effectively. And it's been a great experience being part of the Rick Center. Certainly a lot of help they've provided. Awesome. Appreciate that very much. Obviously, Rick Center is always Proud to be involved with entrepreneurs like yourself that succeed and strive for excellence. Yet Rick Center is always happy to be part of that. There's some great people out there that help. And like you said, they challenge you to do things maybe a million times on your pitch deck and make it better each time and just give you that opportunity to practice without feeling like you're going to blow something, blow a great opportunity. I came across something on your website and insurance companies can reduce false positive rates to below 50% to make their investigators more successful. Can you help me sort of put that into common terms? And and how is that really helping them? I'm I'm really interested in that because that changes a business. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you think of uh, when you're looking at, uh, you know, let's also give you some round numbers and I'll do this math slowly. uh, You know, (laughs) if you had a million claims a year, like a million claims would be, let's say, a large insurance company. And let's say 1% of those was fraud, right? 1% of the million claims is fraud. So that'd be 10,000 claims were fraud, right? And so if you use traditional predictive models, a really good deep learning model might be 90% accurate. And you're going, wow, that's amazing. It's 90% accurate. Out of those 10,000, I would get 9,000 right. And you're saying, I'm killing it, right? But out of the 990,000 that were not fraud, you get 10% wrong. So you'd get 99,000 wrong, right? So you got 99,000 wrong and 9,000 right. So your false positive rate is like 91%. So you're giving a, oh my a, a false positive. So, so now you're wasting investigators' time. And that's just the math and predictive analytics. Even if your model was 99% accurate, you would still have a 50% false positive rate. So if you're wasting more than 50% of your people's time, you need a different technology approach. And we can dramatically reduce the false positive rate. I think our website's very conservative and humble. We've been able to get it down to 10 to 20%, which means that 
you build more trust in your employees when they're not going on wild goose chases driven by predictive analytics, right? And predictive analytics is a great technology. You just need to know some of these facts and use it properly. And, and if you look at medicine, you know, the reason your doctor tells you to get a second opinion is because of this fact. If you have, you know, a rare disease that you got a 1% chance of having with a medical test at 90% accurate, there's only an 8% chance that you actually have that disease. That's why your doctor says, go get a second opinion, right? So medicine knows this fact. Nobody talks about it in machine learning. They don't like out this. They just talk about this accuracy number, but they don't talk about false positives. And false positives matter when there's a cost. Like if I'm doing a false positive in email marketing, if I send the email to the wrong person, that's not so bad. I might annoy you, but there's no cost of that. It's micro pennies to send an email. But if I tell you you have cancer and I send you for treatment and I get that wrong, that's a problem. If I waste two hours of expensive insurance investigator's time, that costs me money. So if I have a false positive braking event on a Tesla and I say, hit the brakes now, when I actually don't have to, if I use predictive analytics to do that, you know, that's a problem, right? And so... Yeah. Yeah. There could be something going wrong there. Yeah. So, uh, so I think, and then, you know, when, when people say AI, for the most part, they mean predictive analytics, which my view is really just statistical analysis been rebranded. That's 99 plus percent of what people call AI today. It's been a marketing rebranding, you know. Well, it sounds like the idea of AI is another version of a false positive on an old story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're predicting rare events, and I think anything is a rare event, like if you live in the UK and you want to decide, should I carry an umbrella or not, you know, it rains a lot there. And if it's raining 30, 40% of the time, you might as well just carry the umbrella every day. Now, if you live in the desert and it rains, you know, 1% of the time, then you want a predictive model that says, should I waste my time carrying an umbrella or not? Right. But if you have a high false positive rate, anything worth predicting is a rare event, right? Uh, yeah. Are you sick? Is it fraud? I mean, is this my best customer? You know, and, and so you have this false positive issue, which really wastes energy and efficiency, which we're trying to address with this technology. So I think you need to be careful and understand the technology to get the maximum value out of it. Going back to changing the world, and you probably will change the world with this knowledge once people really grab onto it. Thinking about that, I mean, pretty cool, amazing stuff you're doing. What is the future? of Daisy Intelligence? Our goal is to be the largest AI company in the world and focus on building a great business. And then if you do that and we deliver to our customers, we believe in a future where computing machines can improve people's lives, right? And we tell our customers, we want to empower your employees, help you service your customers better. And if we focus on that mission, then why not dream for the biggest thing possible? Because if you don't dream big, you'll never, you'll certainly never get there. Whether we get there or not, I don't know, but we're going to try our our hardest and focus on just build a great business, deliver value to your customers, hold yourself strictly accountable to that. And then good things will happen. Opportunities will present themselves. And so I can't, I can't predict exactly what will happen, but I got nothing better to do with my life. I can't see myself sitting around and playing golf every day. And I did that one summer and you know I was exhausted at the end of the summer, getting up every morning and playing around a golf. I said, okay, well, that was the pipe dream. And so yeah, I can play a bit of golf, but I want to have a purpose. And Daisy gives yeah. me a purpose. So I see myself being that 80, 90-year-old guy going to the office for half days. I had a lawyer once who was next door to us in one of our offices, 95 years old. He was coming in and, wow. and for half a day. And I loved his pricing, man. His pricing was like from the 1950s. It was great. Wow. And he was an awesome guy. And I, 
just loving him, watching him come to work. And I said, I want to be that guy, you know, have yeah. a bit of fun, do the things you like, work a little bit. We need purpose. And so for me, that's, I take this as far as it goes. And as far as people are willing to tolerate me and what we do, that would be a <laughs> blessing, right? So. Yeah, I, I love the, the humility, the humbleness and, and the fun life attitude. I think that's the right thing to have. That could be a little bit of the Scandinavian background in you too, right? Just enjoy life to the fullest. Absolutely. Yeah. So Gary, obviously, we're very excited. We're happy to have this. And we're just really appreciative of your time here. One thing I'll say that if anyone's looking for startup transformations, opportunities to excel, to do a lot more with what you've got, the tools, or maybe you just have a crazy idea like Gary did back in 2003 and said, I'm going to start a business in this really obscure category that is going to change the world. You can always check out rickcenter.ca. You can always visit us and learn more. Just Google search RIC, Research Innovation Commercialization Center.ca, RIC.ca. And you can learn more and, and maybe you'll be the next Daisy Intelligence. Now, Gary, before we sign off on this one, I got one question I always ask, and I'm going to have to ask you again. I think I already know the answer. If you were back from scratch before you did this, and you got the chance to be an entrepreneur all over again, would you do it again? I absolutely would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this has been an incredible journey. It's been a, the roller coaster highs and lows are, are crazy, but to be able to self-determine and pursue a career doing what I love, which is this tech, you know, I think I wouldn't choose any other path. And yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, Gary, that's exciting. And that's kind of the answer I thought was going to come from you. So, so Gary, huge thanks. I'm really excited to hear what you guys are doing and where you're going. I can't wait to hear the outcomes. And if I could just take a random entrepreneur's spirit and prediction, I think you guys are going to crush it. I may not be as accurate as Daisy Intelligence, but I think you're going to do a damn good job. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate the vote of confidence and uh, it's going to be a fun ride regardless of what happens. So, And for Startups Transform podcast, I'm Patrick McGuire saying thank you to Gary and Daisy Intelligence, saying thank you to all the audience. Have a great day. Thank you, Gary. Take care. Peace. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on Startups Transform podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the conversation, a rating or review goes a long way. Recommend the show to a friend. Find us at altitudeaccelerator.com where we can help you begin your startup journey with access to our workshops, advisors, and mentorship opportunities. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.